Mech Football Pod. We got everybody here. We got Caleb. Underdog, underdog. Yeah, that's me. We got Justin. Big fella. I don't really have a... I, don't, I need a button. What would my button say? Mm, an eagle screeching sound? Oh, no, I don't Ooh. want that. I don't want that. I'm not an eagle fan. I'm just going to say that. Not like... In terms of like mascot or anything, not in terms of like disrespecting our country, but like yeah, I like, thought you, I thought this was America. Generally, I just eh. that's the best you could do. Yeah, you're just not a fan of the eagles, like the whole animal. The whole, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't like them. I feel, I feel like we need more on that. What do, what, what do you mean you need more than that? I don't like it. Like what about? I don't like its vibe. Not you don't like. I don't like, like its attitude. Eagle. I don't like. You know, <laughs> no, just, just the animal, not the iconography. Just the no. What are the, the best things stuff. that it's inspired? You know. Yeah, you're right. America. I can't imagine a university naming there a Philadelphia their football team, an Eastern Michigan football it. team, and the a, a band of that I don't like. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Sorry to all the dads out there that like the Eagles. Is the is the myth? I guess I'm calling it a myth, so I'm answering my question about it being true. But like how Ben Franklin wanted the turkey to be the, the national bird or whatever, was that true? And if it was, would Virginia Tech be the most patriotic team in America? Uh, I, I don't know. What do I look like, uh, Dan Carlin? No. My, no, sir. My name is Alex, and I, I I do a Mac football pod. I don't I don't do history. I also uh, don't know what Dan Carlin looks like. Not me either. He he speaks nice though. He says words that a lot of people are into. Guys, last week I opened up the show saying that Eastern's a good football team because it beat Arizona State, which is a very stupid thing of me to say. Eastern's, well. Got some things to figure out. And Buffalo, congrats to them for getting their first win because that's that's one hell of a way to do it. But I caught a sleepy Saturday nooner action when the team wore gray on gray on gray on the gray turf. Rainy day. Like, quite literally, like, you had to love the sport to be there. Um, and Buffalo did. Buffalo loved, the, Buffalo loved the sport. They put up 50 points. They were into it. Very game. What I mean, what do you, I know? I was there, but like, what do you guys think of Buffalo now that you know? Hey, they're no longer zero and three; they're one and zero in the MAC. They are favored against Miami at home next week. Oh, <laughs> just by a point. But and I know Miami's got the quarterback situation, but like, if I try jumping way ahead on accident here, but like, if Buffalo were to start 2-0 in that play, like all past sins are forgiven, right? And it just kind of hits reset. I, I, I think at that point, I just kind of accept them for where they are. Like I was willing, and I'm still like in the mindset of like whenever Buffalo proves to me that like it's good and like there's something there where like I can like definitely feel confident in the way that they perform. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in, you know, just kind of waiting for that moment. And this might have been it. I mean, so they win by 19 points. They're in a close game late. They kind of they kind of chain up EMU. 
they get good, balanced running and passing play. I think Buffalo in recent years has been relatively comfortable in like kind of those high scoring games in general. Like not necessarily that they always win, but just don't look out of their element, even if they don't have a super explosive offense. And Cook and Washington were both really solid yesterday. I think we gotta start paying a little bit of attention to what Cole Snyder can do. Because I mean I'm looking at the season stats now and he went over a thousand, he's a seven touchdowns and two interceptions, his QBR is not great, but he's not throwing you know, he's not throwing too many dumb passes. He's over 60% passing. Uh, and they're in the East, which is always like a little caveat where they're like, hey, look, Miami's in the East, Kansas State's in the East, Miami's in the East. They're not going to be bad. Well, somebody has to be bad. And right now it looks like it's still probably Akron, even though they look fine against Liberty. And BG is still bad, even though they looked good against Marshall. And then it looks like crap against Mississippi State because that was supposed to happen. So... I think Buffalo might climb back up, but I'm, I'm with Alex. I think there's a decent chance they could kind of surge back up or just, you know, they're just languishing and whatever for the next year. Yeah, speaking of uh, bad and crap, Caleb, what, what's your uh, microphone situation? Because you, you came in like super, super choppy that entire time. And I can only make out like um, I don't know. 70% of what you said. I, I I don't know. I have a I have no extra sounds in my apartment, and I have my earphones plugged in. So same same uh, setup as normal. Hmm. Sounds good now. I think the the internet just doesn't want you talking about Buffalo. That could be it. The internet doesn't <laughs> like me talking about most things because technology does hate me. So. Well, that's a shame because fifty points is a lot of points, uh, and I think pretty good. We were sort of not sold on Buffalo, and I know that Eastern's defense has some issues, yeah, which we it knew. It's, it's, like, it's despite the Arizona State mm-hmm. win, we knew that the issues were there. Uh, but, yeah, Cole Snyder, 20-29 for 297 yards. That's a good day. He was a efficient. real good day. And it helps when the run game's there, like consistently there. And it's not like... I don't know what the final numbers were, even though I have the box score and I read it and I don't really care to remember these things. Buffalo had a large rushing total at the end, and it wasn't just like one of those games where they had like a 40-yard run, a 50-yard run, and then like a couple two-yard runs and a negative play to average out to whatever it was. They were consistently having like 8, 10, 12, 8, 10, 12-yard runs at a time. And like when you have that kind of success, and it wasn't just like Cole Snyder doing the read option to get the running backs to have more success that way and playing against the defense that way. No, Buffalo was just playing big boy run boy, you know, run. Uh, big boy run boy. Big boy run boy <laughs> offense. You know, they were running heavy. And that's that's kind of like a thing that I like about Buffalo right now is that they're not afraid to have fullbacks and use them and have a third tight end out there and use them. Like there's a good style to the way more you know Maurice Linguist has this offense rolling. Um, I, I say it like it's rolling like they've been doing so well all season long. Like they've only had like the one game of success. I don't know how sustainable this is going to be, but I mean they scored on the first nine possessions of the game. That's pretty damn good. That's pretty decent. And it wasn't like they were all you know close gimme drives. A lot of them were. Long drives, like 17 plays, 15 plays, 11 plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, like, 
start from the beginning, 75 yards, 76 yards, 75 yards, um, field goal drive that was short, and then another 75, 81. So if they're able to do that against EMU, I'm very confident they can do that against most of the other teams on their schedule. And let me give you the worst. Let me give you the worst stat. This is the most glaring stat of the whole game. Buffalo was four of four on fourth downs. Ooh. I don't know how to talk about Eastern right now. I don't know if I should talk about them in terms of like confidence, lack thereof. I think I expected more out of Hassan Beydoun. Kinda so far. I mean, you got to remember the last. The two quarterbacks that you've had out there, let's start with the one that we've seen the last two games, Austin Smith. You know, he's not the passing threat as, you know, that Taylor Powell is, right? So the opportunities to even get throws his way are just, you know, going down because he's more of the runner. Taylor Powell, when he was in, hasn't been the most efficient in the first place. Five interceptions, probably should have thrown more. Yeah, but even outside of that, like, you know, I would want more out of Badoon, you know, given that it's been an exciting past few years with them to begin with. And then all summer long, we were like getting ready for him, getting ready for him, getting excited for him, getting excited for him. He has a number change. Not the best first third of the year, though. I'm not looking at the stats because I don't care, but not exactly what? all Mac material at this moment. What happened to Eastern in the second half of this game offensively? You said what happened? Yeah, like what happened? Like what was different? Like they seemed to be fine in the first half and then sputtered because I think if you the look def- at the, the defense, like overall stats, like, the defense yeah, they... got to them because Eastern was starting out with its long drives and you'll notice they had one punt, one punt, and it got Buffalo all the way to its one yard line. It was a very long punt and Buffalo drove it for 81 yards that drive and ended with a field goal. Had they started at the 75, probably would have been a different story, right? But so Creighton's looking at that. His next drive's out. Eastern's offense just doesn't string it together, and he just goes for it on fourth down. And that's towards the end of the third quarter. That's where Creighton's like, okay, the game's starting to get away from us. If my offense doesn't put it together now, we're not going to be able to put it together in the fourth quarter or even keep things close until then. So that's why if you look at the drive chart, you'll see like, you know, it's first down, four down, drives, down. scoring, 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 and then turnover and downs, turnover and downs, turnover and downs, because he was like, look, the defense isn't getting it done, clearly. The offense needs to just play up to Buffalo right now, and it didn't. So that's what happened there. It just failed in, like, the crucial parts of the second half. Yeah, because Buffalo had the ball for a very long time. It's basically a Buffalo <clears throat> offensive game. 29 first downs to 13 first downs. Yeah. That is, that's why I was shocked to see the 13 first downs only, and then you look at the first half drive charts, and you're like, what happened to Eastern? Yeah, it, it, um, was, it was definitely hard for them to like find that group in the first place because that, that first quarter, Buffalo started with the ball, had a long drive. No, quick drive, actually. That, that was a quick drive. It was because uh, Keon Williams had like a 59-yard like, run. Um, but Buffalo got on the board first, and then Eastern responded with a kickoff return for a touchdown, and then Buffalo had a long drive after that. And then Eastern finally saw the field 10 minutes. Eastern's offense finally saw the field 10 minutes into the first quarter. So you have, like, the late start, and then it's the third quarter. Okay, now you have to do it because 
the situation of the game calls for you guys to make plays and they just don't have that big play potential with its offensive setup right now. You know, uh, it's missing its quarterback. It's missing Taylor Powell. It's also missing Dylan Drummond, an experienced receiver. Uh, Darius Lasseter, a guy that they're, you know, starting to bank on his first year with the team. He's not. He's he has good plays, and then he also has some big drops. And so that's that's kind of biting them. Like you said, not enough out of Badoon and Canoe. He's Canoe's playing well though. I really like the way Canoe's been playing this year, making big plays, making good you know good catches, lots of scores. But ultimately, it's it, Eastern is what it is. It's just not ever going to, or at least it hasn't put everything together to string together you know a super successful year, and it'll end up losing games like this after winning games it just had. And so that's the topic we kind of you know I wanted to tackle a little bit. Uh, that after last week, you're like, all right, so Eastern wins on the road at Arizona State. Really, really big win. Are we looking at Eastern as, like, if it was a power rankings, are they the best team in the MAC, and can they win the MAC? And ultimately, they fall back down to earth against, like, a middle-of-the-pack MAC team. I think that sort of happens every year regardless. Because mm-hmm. talent level-wise, they're always capable of losing to kind of, like, the lower rung of the MAC, but they can also beat everybody and anybody any year, which makes it interesting, at least under Creighton. So I don't know. It's Eastern is always, it's, there's nothing super sexy about them, even if they throw the ball around and they got some good athletes and they do things that make you think, okay, well they can beat you. And then they just underperform in games where you're like, Oh man, Eastern could really do something here and make us, make us really be on the watch for them or really be excited about what they're capable of. And then ultimately they kind of just don't. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that comes with the territory of like college football. You just can't have it all at like a team like Eastern. Like I know we've seen a whole bunch of, I shouldn't say a whole bunch of turnarounds happen before. Cause there's not like, you know, there's still like only one Alabama out there. There's still only one Georgia out there. Uh, but for like where Eastern was, and, and I, and this is, this is always the thing about, about Creighton, like just talking about him generally is that, you talk about him and you can't really say anything bad about him because look at how good of a program Eastern is compared to where he found it, you know? And that's always where you have to end this conversation is after you beat Arizona state and you lose two games, you know, lose a game that you shouldn't like that. Well, beats the shit out of where it was 10 years ago. The difference between EMU and a lot of other programs are in this situation where they're, they're beating teams they shouldn't and they're losing teams that they should beat. The difference is, at the end of the day, nobody's calling for Creighton's head. There's no incredible dissatisfaction with the fan base. Because for one, there's not a big enough fan base in the first place to cause some big uproar about whether things should be changing. And two, people, the EMU, whatever exists of the EMU fan base and the folks that, are, that give a crap about EMU football are realistic enough to know that things are not going to get substantially better, better if they made a coaching change. And I think they're we're all relatively happy. And I know I, we know where you stand because you say it all the time, but there's not enough of a desire to want things to change substantially because the people who are smart enough to know that if things did change substantially, the more likely of the two options is the vastly more likely of the two options is Eastern falls off the cliff rather than rises to the top. I'm curious, like I, not that I'm rooting for it and I don't like really want to like spin the wheels on it too hard, but I am curious because I'm an adult, 
what is the succession plan that Eastern has in its back pocket right now, just in case for whatever reason, like I'm, and I'm not, and you know me, like I don't ever fall for the trap of, Oh my God, Eastern just beat Arizona state. Could Chris Creighton move on to a bigger and better job? (laughs) Did I ever once think that like, did I think that after Purdue? Did I think that after Illinois? No, not going to think that now, but at some point, Chris Creighton will move on. Have it be his own doing. Have it be they push him out the door. I don't know if that's going to be four years from now, 44 years from now. But right now, they have to have a plan just in case. And I do wonder what that looks like because that kind of succession plan would tell me like what kind of future Eastern wants for itself. I don't know if this is the kind of level that they want forever. I don't know if Chris Creighton's going to be their... Uh, their stock still, right? I don't know if Eastern is going to be the new... Hell, hell, why would the MAC expand to Middle Tennessee State when it could just go to Eastern Michigan, right? Is is that the vision that Eastern has for itself? Well, let me ask you a question about this. Is there a coach on staff with Eastern Michigan that fans or observers of the team are entirely dissatisfied with. Is there like a single like coach outside of Creighton? No. Is there a coach? No, that's, and that's what I'm looking for. You're you're saying no, correct? Right. So it's, it's funny because as an Ohio fan over the years, the, the expectations that came with being a good or decent team in the conference, uh, whatever success they had, even if it was sustained success on the offensive side of the football, there was always an inherent dissatisfaction with not getting better under Tim Albin as the offensive coordinator. So when they made Albin the coach, there was a lot of dissatisfaction, even though they were carrying over a certain aspect of the team that had led them to un- like unparalleled success compared to what they'd done historically. Um, I think – I don't know who is most respected with that program or not with EMU. Maybe there is a guy who could step in right away and there wouldn't be – immediate dissatisfaction and like disgruntlement about it i know ohio did have that where people were like what the fuck albin really but that was that's that was a different situation though like frank solich was very very old and he left you know abruptly because of medical reasons you know late in the year like late in the you know late in the cycle so that was like a whole kind of different animal in its own right i don't disagree with what you're saying the, the, only, the point I just want to make is if there is a succession plan, is EMU going to be in a good position to make it? And I think you're wondering the same thing. Is if right now, if Creighton, if, if going into next season and the same coaches, if Creighton was on, was on the mend with some illness, who would, who would step in? Uh, Neil Nethery. Okay. The defensive coordinator and associate head coach. And folks would be okay with that because of what he's done over the years, right? Yeah, and like he's been there since a while, fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say close to a decade, but so not quite. But okay, yeah. So EMU is probably in a better position to sustain its success than a, than more schools than you would think. I would think in the MAC. Um, I think Western would need to go out and do a splashy hire or somebody new. I think Central is in a good enough spot that they could hire somebody good from outside. Everybody seemed to think Buffalo was doing a good job with the hire they made, and well, you know that's too that's TBD still. But like, but none of those jobs are open right now. Like, 
if we're realistically like do if we're doing this if we're doing this exercise like what jobs do you think would even open up in the mac first would it be kent state would it be toledo like what would open and why like right now i mean we can kind of like swing into like toledo from here because jesus christ how did you lose to san diego state like that um we, we can we can point to one name that we always do i guess and that might be the name that's out the door um and that might be you know a new position that op- maybe the first position to open up in the conference which would be a great job for uh one scott frost to enter you know the mac is uh is really bad this year because i think there's only like maybe one or two schools in the entire conference that at one point the fan base won't go yeah man, what, what maybe we should fire him <laughs> Because I feel like everybody is going to say that. Like the exceptions are probably Akron because it's the first year. Yeah. Um, that and Buffalo because they and, just put up fifty points. And Buffalo, yeah, I mean Buffalo today, but like you know, give it time. Is anyone realistically saying that about Central, even if Central's playing down? No, I mean I, I don't think they'll say it like in any seriousness, right? But like Central doesn't look very good right now, and no, like I could see if they drop another couple games, people kind of like having a wandering eye like, eh, like maybe we should think about what this looks like um and that doesn't necessarily mean people are going to be like they need to go now but uh they might end up at a place where uh they think like okay you know we'll see if they can save it but they're out when the contract's up or something like that um not suggesting that McElwain isn't going to turn it around or anything like that um but i just think everybody right now is just not feeling awesome <laughs> Like it tends to happen in the non conference, but like this feels kind of worse than recent years, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys don't agree, but like it, it, uh, you know, I, I'm a Western fan, so we know how I'm feeling today, but like for everybody else, like it just doesn't seem like the results are no one can seem to get it going, even in the bad years. There's always a team that you can kind of be like, hey, maybe they're. Maybe they're going to figure this thing out. Yeah, and because usually that team is central. And so, like, that's kind of, like, where our gravity is being thrown off. And, like, shit, even, like, when you have games like Kent State, you know, in Georgia, 39-22. to 22, Oh, man, that's kind of close. It's a lot better than I thought it would be. It was a 44-point spread going in. Like, I'm not going to buy into that. Like, you know what no one said on any of the podcasts out there? on any of the analysis, on any of the the film breakdowns, how did this get to be the way it is, you know? What no one's saying about that game is that, and I'm not reporting this, I'm just, you know, I'm just blogging with my mouth right now, is that everybody for Georgia just showed up, like, drunk from the night before and had, like, 50 hours of no sleep. That's what they were running on because they've just been partying all night. Kent State, shit, we're still going to win this. Real We're, games aren't until October, November for us. I, I will. Get, I mean, I, I think you just got to give Kent State credit just because you didn't get bludgeoned by the defending national champions. Okay, I think. Yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, sure. I think, and, and giving credit is such a like low bar too. Like, oh man, you got to give them credit. Look what they did. They did. They didn't flop. But for the amount of absolute ass kickings some of the Max teams have taken in non-conference, I will say that Kent State looked and fielded something that resembled competitive football against a team with more talent as much talent or more talent than anybody in the country. So the turnover um, luck helps. Like, yeah. I don't think like but they've McCon- been doing that for two years now. They Kent yeah. state has been turning teams over for two years. They didn't do it um, a couple of years ago. And it must've become a, a point of renewed emphasis. 
um, the last two years, Kent State has been turning teams over. Let's yeah, they, they picked off a deep ball from a uh, contested deep ball from Stetson Bennett, and then they got two Lab McConkey fumbles, and I think one was on a punt. So it was, you know, there was some some luck there. But like Kent State only got 14 first downs, which again, we're talking about Georgia here. So this Not is a, a surprise. It's it's a big deal that they were competitive as deep into the game as they were. Um, but I mean there, there wasn't a single quarter where they like outplayed Georgia. You know what I mean? They shouldn't. And like, and you're right. They shouldn't. So I, I feel, I feel weird saying this. Cause it's like every, every rebuttal is yeah, but it's Georgia. But also I hope like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't feel like I've learned a ton about Kent state other than like Sean Lewis can be kind of a coward at times with that field goal. He kicked towards the end, like down, I think, he, I think they were down like 16 or something like that. And he kicked a field goal. <laughs> to like i don't know it was something weird like and everyone on twitter was like what are you doing like you have an all-time opportunity here and like no one's gonna remember this game in five years unless you like really go for it and so for me like watching that the end of that game that jumped out more to me than anything else and i get the whole you know the team works hard for it. they got you know you want the offense to get the points that they earned and all that stuff but it was just like man like you get you getting outgamed. They got outgamed five twenty nine to two eighty one. They only had fourteen first downs. Like you weren't gonna get another shot at the end zone like that. But the, um, I I do got to say that I think there there was the discussion. There's been the discussion because since Kent lost Isaiah McCoy, I think it, Alex and I have talked about it more. Like who's the deep play threat that actually makes Kent State the legit dangerous team that they were. And it was like, okay, is it Cephas? It's like, no, not really. Like, will he be their leading receiver? Decent likelihood. Um, but not the breakaway incredible receiver. And he, he still is their leading receiver right now. But Jesus Christ, like, I think that everybody's got to start buying Cooper and De- Devontae's Walker because he, he made some plays against Georgia. He's up to, you know, team leading three touchdowns now. And I think that's the type of guy that we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks where folks didn't really know who he was a few weeks ago. And now when we're talking about Kent State in these games that are very likely to go into the 40s and the 50s, we're going to be talking about Cooper, Marquez Cooper, Collins Schley, Devontae Walker. Maybe this is – I'm turning on my like conspiratorial you know, kind of brain where I'm trying to get into like the mind of like a rich person because like maybe this is the kind of game that like – like, cause Kirby, he's very good at football too. Like not, not just playing. He was good at playing, but like also gaming, you know, the game of football from the coaching side. And to with that, I mean, like maybe he gamed this in such a way that like, kind of like inflated Sean Lewis's market for when it comes time for him to actually seriously get a job outside of Kent state, seriously get out of Kent state, man, seriously, just get out, get out, get out, get out. Whenever it comes time for Sean Lewis to like get that big boy job and get out of Kent state. They're going to look at this game and be like, well, how'd you do against, against you know, one Georgia, number one Georgia? Well, we got to pay you a little bit more. And that's less resources that school has because they paid Sean Lewis when Kirby was like, no, we actually had like the more dominant game. We just kind of wanted you to, uh, you know, <laughs> have more money for your coach and less for, I don't know what they're going to be spending and spending on in like four years on their players, on their NIL. Less resources go to that and more to Sean Lewis because this game was uh, closer than it should have been. 
but it was always an ass kicking. At no point in that did I under did I think I understood where it's you okay. Were going. It'll make sense later. <laughs> It'll make sense later. Playing the long game, Kirby Smart. Okay. Yeah. Hey, he's very. It, it's Kirby Smart out is so very. Far, he's uh, beating Bama. Kirby Smart very involved in like uh, you know Kent State inter-university politics in terms of how they manage their money. Hey, where did Nick go? <laughs> Fair. He's trying to bankrupt Kent State to get back at Nick Saban, who I'm sure cares. He cares so much about BG. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kent State's the biggest wild card for me um, going into the like bulk of the max season. I know we have a couple non-conference games for some I people to, wrap, to finish I, up. I, I but like, watched any of these. Yeah, like, well, I mean, like, just, like, I think Eastern plays UMass this week, and Western's got an FCS game, and I think maybe a couple others, but. That sucks. Make this shit end, man. Can we just get to the Tuesday part? Yeah, I mean, that's what. Weekend's back. Right. And so, look, what I'm saying is, I, I don't know anything about Kent State, other than what Caleb mentioned about, like, we got, they have some really good players trending upward. Um. And like Marquez Cooper is, is legit. Like regardless yeah. of the effort Georgia gave yesterday, like that he's he's that dude. So like they're gonna score a ton of points. Probably gonna get a ton of points scored on them. Like their defense looked a little more resilient than I expected um, through, through at least the first halves of some of these games because they ended up getting blown out by Oklahoma, but they started off well and they started off well against Washington as well. So. But I don't know, man. Like it, it maybe it doesn't carry into the conference season. I have no idea. I just need them to start playing conference games. And I wish Kent State played some other G five schools. I get that they've got to they got to keep the lights on. But damn, I'd like to learn something about you before October. Uh, Justin, I I didn't watch a lick of your your Broncos fall to San Jose State. What what, what happened? Also, I I I know that there's a. What's up with Jack Salifak? He wasn't out there. Uh, he's hurt. I think it was like, I think they said like upper body injury. I don't know. They did like the hockey thing. Um, he was dressed and technically available as the emergency quarterback in the event that everybody else got hurt. Um, okay. We need a handoff guy. Filling in for Yeah, exactly. And filling in him for him was Marion Herbowski. Um, they didn't drop back. I mean, they dropped back to throw a couple times, but Marion likes to run, so he ran. Um, they did. Uh, it is, the offense is a disaster. I don't know, man. I don't want to spend a whole podcast on this because I really freaking could. But like, they. I think I tweeted something like, "I'm not quite there to just declare WMU bad," but I think after a night of sleeping on it, like, I'm still not there, but I'm inching a little closer. Western was playing on the road a week after playing, you know, a home, their home opener against a power five opponent. Um, Their quarterback was dinged up. I imagine some other guys are dinged up that aren't on the injury report, right? They're going on the road to a San Jose state team that just gave Auburn hell and then got a week off. And they're playing at home. Plus MC hammer was there. He was there. And I think the worst part about all this is that my alma mater embarrassed themselves in front of hammer. Um, because I have to imagine it's the first time MC Hammer had heard of Western Michigan. I guess I don't know how big of a college football fan he is. If he was plugged in in 2016, maybe he understands who they are. But beyond that, this could have been his first 
WMU experience, and it was not good. The quality of the game was pretty crappy too. Like even from San Jose State side, to describe what San Jose State was doing through the air to Western Michigan by punishing them in that aspect, to describe what they were doing as running plays would be like an insult to people who design plays. San Jose State did what I think all teams should do against Western, which is like, we're going to drop back, count to three, and chuck it to whichever guy is single covered. And against Western's defense, that's everybody. (laughs) So you have to throw it in any direction towards one of your receivers. You're probably going to make a play over the DB. I don't think Western won a single 50-50 ball last night. They just, they got mossed on pretty much every play. Lots of big plays. There was nothing they could do. Even if there was something they could do, they were going to have to win this game 6-0 to have a chance because this offense can't move. It was bad when Salopec was in. Salopec was averaging less than five yards per attempt through the air. Um, Offensive line isn't moving anybody and getting any push and running the ball. This is – we'll see what happens with Akron, but this is in the running for the worst offense in the MAC, and it might well be the worst WMU offense I've seen since – Maybe ever. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. It might be the worst I've seen ever. You know, you, you, since you I've men- been watching. You mentioned Akron, so we're just gonna like kind of bridge these two together because Akron got waxed, uh, and an ugly, an ugly wax score too of twenty-one to twelve by Liberty and Bowling Green. They got spanked by Mississippi State, uh, forty-five to fourteen, and those two teams link up. This weekend to open up Maction. Uh, Maction's essentially going to open up for everybody. Uh, a couple teams already got a head start. I know, Justin, you and I, our team's got a head start on it. Uh, but everybody else gets to join the front, you know, join the fray this weekend, which would be great. Uh, except for anybody that goes to Akron. Except for you. That's going to suck. That's just going to suck. Uh, we don't have to talk about those games if you don't want to, because I certainly did not watch either of those games. Uh, and I won't. I'm not going to go back and rewatch any of the highlights if they come up on YouTube at all. But, um, ugh. yeah, just just a gross gross matchup coming up after just really gross offs. Like, Akron, really bad season so far. Bowling Green, a lot of people buy into Bowling Green just because of, I don't know, they beat Marshall when they shouldn't have. They beat Eastern East Kentucky when they shouldn't have. No, they didn't. They did not. They did not. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I got nothing on, on those other than ugh, just. And Marshall went and lost this week too uh, to Troy. A pretty good Troy team, by the way. Um, they should be three and one, but they got hail married. Um, wait, Marshall got hail married? No, no, no. Troy did two two weeks ago. Sorry, okay. Troy should be gotcha. Troy should be three and one, but they got hail married by App State yeah. uh, in the college game day game. That's right. Um, that, that Troy team's pretty good. Yeah, because I was going to say, wait, there's a third Hail Mary, and I didn't know that? No, no. Sidebar. Uh, no. Sidebar. Need more college game day games, not at traditional powerhouses. Because they're almost always fun as hell. Yeah, I thought they messed up by not going to Kansas. Like, I don't know. Like, Tennessee's still a cool place to go. and yeah. But, like... God, they should have been there for Kansas and uh, Kansas and Duke. Mm-hmm. They rushed the field after beating Duke. I know they sold out the stadium. That's an, it's amazing. No, they they rushed the field after going four and zero. Big difference. It's true. <laughs> God yeah. bless. 
God, old friend, bless. old friend alert, Lance old. God bless that man. Dude's got it going on. What a good fucking football coach. Yep. Pay Lance Leipold a billion dollars. Someone should do it. Like, I know he's at Kansas and he probably doesn't want to like have any intentions of leaving after like a year. But like, you know, if Nebraska comes calling, like you take the goddamn job, right? Like, yeah. If like, I'm not even joking about a billion dollars. If someone has a billion dollars and needs to win, just <laughs> just give it to him, man. Like he'll, he'll yeah, he'll win eight games. Um, he might not do it to Kansas, but like at a good program. <laughs> He might. he might not do it yet. He might win. He's going to win the Big 12 this year. Shut the fuck up, Justin. No, why? No. No, no, no. I know this isn't a Big 12 podcast, but you have to give me a reason why Kansas can't win the Big 12. Talent alone. What? Because Oklahoma just lost to K State. Yeah. And then Kansas is going to. Okay. Let's look at the fucking schedule then. Again. <laughs> Kansas coming up plays Iowa State. They're going to lose. Then they play TCU, they're going to lose. Then they play Oklahoma, they're going to lose. They play Baylor, they're going to lose. They play Oklahoma State, they're going to lose. They play Texas Tech, they'll probably win. They play Texas, they'll probably win again. They play Kansas State, they'll lose. We don't We don't know any of this. Caleb, I appreciate Kansas? you saying that because that's actually my answer for uh, who Nebraska really should hire. And I know I've said the joke. It's Chris Kleiman. No, I, no, no. I'm going to tell you my serious answer. This is my serious answer. Justin knows my serious answer. But this is my serious answer for who Nebraska, honest to God, should should hire. Mike Gundy. Why would he want that job? He Just because he stayed at Oklahoma State for as long as he has doesn't mean he's been trying to get out. Let's see. Why would he want to stay at Oklahoma State knowing that he can't play Oklahoma anymore? He's done all he could there. It's the the job's changed. Go to Nebraska, different, better, probably a better situation, more likely for him to make the playoff that way. Who knows? I don't know. Uh and he can keep the rivalry around by uh by playing Oklahoma. I don't know if they have like future series set up, but I could see that being a being a thing. With Oklahoma out, though, they can be the powerhouse of the Big 12, even if Big 12 is less in stature. No, just let Lance Leipold stay in Kansas. I don't think Lance Leipold needs to leave Kansas. I think it's a good place for him because the expectations are never exactly. ridiculous. Yeah, let, yeah, let, yeah, let Kansas have the Big 12. Maybe. I mean, if you, I don't think it's ridiculous at all to believe that Kansas could be, um, you know, a top-tier team in the Big 12 in a very short amount of time, but um, the talent doesn't match up. So give it a few years, and they could be there. I'm just saying. Mike Gundy's they also, for Nebraska. And I will say this too. Kansas does under a Leipold coach team, you don't have to be the most talented to be one of the two or three best teams in the conference. Because they're he's a fucking great coach with a great staff always. Their offensive line play is always awesome. But I, I agree, and I could say the same about Mike Gundy. I don't see where it ties in, but like I, I wouldn't hate to see Gundy go somewhere else just because I would find the whole process amusing. Um Honest to God, you bring up Gundy, and I it seriously. This is out of left field, but I would not be. It would not shock me to see Jimbo Fisher done at Texas A and M, and Gundy go to Texas A and M. That would be funny. I don't. I couldn't see it, but I can't either. But that'd be hilarious. 
Listen, Lance Leipold's going to make a ton of money when Kansas joins the Big Ten. Honestly, I love the idea of Kansas playing Big Ten basketball games. I mean, I'm barely joking. Like, I think the only reason Kansas wasn't isn't part on the target list or wasn't or whatever is because the football team was bad. But if the football team, like, if they win like seven or eight games this year, like, if you're Kansas, that's how you can keep Lance Leipold. Be like, just hang tight, buddy. We're going to get that Big Ten invite, and then we'll pay you. That TV money coming, baby. Yeah. I mean, Kansas it's all, it's all have, yours. Kansas was ridden of Michigan people not too long ago. So who knows how many bones are still in that skeleton? Um, should probably talk about a team that's still in the MAC, right? Oh, I thought we were still talking about Kansas. Wait, we were, we're talking about the MAC? No, we're talking yeah. about Fordham. Do you guys want to talk about Ohio or Toledo? Fuck. I think both of those teams are garbage, and we should stop talking about either of them. Okay, which job is going to open first, Toledo or Ohio? Probably, probably Toledo. Yeah, that was a shitty game. Very shitty finish. Uh, now, I know a lot of attention has been focused on to the final minutes of the game. Rightfully so. I get that. And I, I'm not going to go down that road. I want to just kind of wonder out loud what happened the first, like, couple hours of the game. Why? Where was Toledo's offense? Uh, nowhere to be found, man. They missed a field goal. Um, threw a pick on an eight-play drive, fumbled on a ten-play drive. I mean, the answer is always is turnovers. Like if you ever look, Toledo was like designed in a lab to trick like all the advanced models. Yep. <laughs> like it, if you were designing a team perfectly to lose games and then like look better on paper, it's that it, this is how they do it. And like they did a master class yesterday at San Diego State. I mean. You just look at everybody's stat line. Taquan Finn was 21 of 34, 240, 240 yards, seven yards per play. That's fine. But he threw three picks. He threw three picks. Like, then there's a fumble. They have four turnovers. They had 24 first downs to 14 first downs uh, for San Diego State. They out, almost outgained San Diego State by 100 yards. Time of possession, which is whatever, it was about the same. But, like, they held San Diego State to 2.7 yards per pass. They gave up 6.6 yards per rush, right? San Diego State had 103 penalty yards given to Toledo. There's no reason to lose this game, and then they just do it. All of their successful drives in the first half like ended in turnovers or a missed field goal, and that's why they lost. It's so just, you're saying the coaching is bad. Sounds like I, it. I think there's – I think the 2017 title was just, like, a front for, like, whatever demon has placed a curse on them to, like, throw us off the trail. Like, I've never seen something more sustainable than Toledo losing games like this. And it's happened across multiple coaching staffs. Although Candle was a part of the, yep. the previous one, so – he was the OC for Campbell. Yeah, this this game definitely deserves some like 
like like uh further investigating definitely because of all the games in the non-conference slate even with two mac wins over power five institutions miami over northwestern emu over arizona state even with the shitty seven overtime game which i will never ever rewatch i think this right here is like the most interesting game of the non-conference slate in the mac just because, like, the gravity of Toledo. Because, like you said, like and like, like we have said for a very long time, Toledo, wherever you put them on, like, the S&P charts, wherever you put them in whatever, like, doop, 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 whatever, like, the computers say that Toledo should be ranked because they're talented, they got this going, they got that going, they can score a lot of points, they can do this, they can do that, but they still lose these games. That's just how far bad Toledo has been, and... Like we said, it's it's with the coaching staff, but how much longer is this going to be allowed? Because you can't keep coming up with the same excuses to keep Candle around. And, you know, if, if it opened up to today, Toledo would be the third college football program to open up. But by the time it does, it'll be like maybe like the seventh at the earliest, right? Yeah, I mean, and they're not in like, position like to do Georgia that yet. Tech and some other ones that we expect to open up do. Yeah. I mean, look, there's you could take some good away from the game by like seeing that. I mean, San Diego State's not a high flying offense by any stretch, but like Toledo's defense performed well, and they're they're gonna be in every game in MAC play. Everybody's due for like a stinker of a game, but like Toledo will have every opportunity to go eight zero in the MAC, right? They're not going to, but they'll have this shot. Yeah. You say that, but they're going to lose a game by like 27 points. But, right. So they'll have a shot in seven. You're right. Every year they're due for like a big clunker. I don't know. They just sound like a talented Eastern Michigan, just the way that it sounds like. <laughs> like, hey, they have all the talents in the world. However, they have the ability to beat everybody and lose to everybody. Yeah, they're like NIU's photo negative. Well, I don't know. Maybe Toledo can't lose to everybody in the MAC. I don't know. Eastern can. can. I don't know if Toledo can lose to everybody in the match. Toledo can, yes. I think their defense raises their floor higher yeah. than anybody. So, like, it, okay, in the MAC West, like, just going through everybody, there's only two teams right now that I see that have – they do something well enough that their floor is raised high enough that you are like, okay, we, we should expect to win a MAC title, right? That's NIU and Toledo, and it's opposite sides of the ball. NIU's offense is so good that, like, it raises – like it takes them off that list of can lose to anybody. I know it's a Mac and everybody can lose to everybody and it's college football and blah, blah, blah. But like in a realistic sense, like that raises their floor for NIU on the offensive side, Toledo on the defensive side. It'd be very inter- like it'd be a very interesting game when those two meet. I do think it's worth saying that, and maybe this has been acknowledged before and I'm not saying anything groundbreaking or whatever, but even as Toledo's defense has been good in recent years, and I think Justin's talked a lot about that, um, not even just today, but other times, um, you know, they were one of the top defenses in the MAC last year. They are no longer a team that is that their identity is centered around its offense. And I think for years they were the types of skill position players and, you know, quarterback guys that could just chunks and chunks and chunks of yards, explosive plays, high scoring games. Part of the identity of like growing weeknight match and was. Toledo being in these big games and high scoring games, and they're still mm-hmm. capable of that. 
They are very much still capable of it, but it's not their identity anymore. They're more likely to ground out a lower scoring game and rely on its defense to make big plays and make things ugly. And if they're going to be good, that maybe that just has to be what they are. Maybe they need to win games 20 to 14 and uh, 17 to 10 and uh, 24 and to 18. And it's just like turnovers and turnovers and uh, tackles for loss and all that stuff. Maybe that's, maybe that's who they have to be moving forward under Campbell under candle i don't know if you can i don't know if you can like just flip like your roster that quickly and like have that much of an identity shift like i think toledo's i I get what you're saying because it's not that quickly though because it was starting it it started i think it kind of already started before last year to what only run like two tight end or two receivers out there and no to be more predicated on what they do defensively is how they win games and they didn't do it well, but if they can shift it and they can make things more geared towards winning low-scoring games and controlling possession and, you know, hitting the big plays when they can and not trying to, like, air it out and make this a, you know, 90-100 offensive play game, like, they don't want to be that anymore. I think they got to shift gears based on personnel and continue to recruit towards that. And you can still have big offensive – or you can still have explosive offensive players and th- those types, but – if you you got to realize that your defense is what is keeping you in these games now. Sure. It sure as shit isn't the offense that you saw against San Diego State that made things exciting and it was ugly and if Toledo can stay in close games against very well-respected F or uh, G5 programs and they're only really doing it with defense, take a good hard look in the mirror and look at what you're doing as a program and see what is it going to take for you to continue to be in games like this and to win games like this. You got to shift things. Silver lining, it's a tough ask to play Ohio State like that and then head out west. And yeah. one side of the ball met the met the challenge. Are there any other thoughts about the Mac and what it had this past weekend before we kind of start to sign off and think about next week and kind of finish off with our uh, three things each? Yeah, I think the Mac had a, like, there was one window of time, maybe like a 20-minute period where it looked like it was going to be a really good week for the conference. Like, NIU was taking Kentucky down to the wire. Um, and, you know, Toledo had a shot to win earlier in the day. Ball State looked in control of the game for a bit against Georgia Southern. Miami was tied with North Northwestern at that time. And then at the time, Akron was... Um, you know, down, I think like six or something like that to Liberty or had like a puncher's chance at least. And so all of those games were kind of going on at the same time. And it was like, Oh my God, this kid, like if all these results tip the max way, it would be uh, a really good finish. And like only one of them went the max way. And that was Miami beating Northwestern, which as a win, like, you know, kind of everybody gets to do it now, but like, they should still celebrate it. Anytime you beat a Big Ten school, regardless of level, it's still cool, especially the backup quarterback. I think I'll save my my three for for the last part. Sounds good. Uh, actually, do you just? Well, I I have nothing. I have nothing more to add. Uh, was there any games? Are there any games like this coming up weekend for the opening week of matching that you guys are looking forward to? Uh, 
you're not allowed to say Akron Bowling Green because I, I will call you liars <laughs> for that. So don't even don't even think about it. Just don't even think about it, sir. I think the one that – I think Miami-Buffalo is the one that – I think I've said this probably four years in a row now where Miami-Buffalo is the one that's like, all right, we're going to find out if, if Miami's really that good and if Buffalo is blah, 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 blah. And, um, it's harder to say because Miami's potentially still with a backup quarterback. And um, yes, they are in fact better with Gabbert as their quarterback. Believe it or not, that is the case. Um, so Central Toledo is still a big deal. Still has the potential to shape the conference. Northern Illinois, Ball State's in the same place. Um, I think the the game that has the potential to have the most fireworks is probably Ohio Kent State just because it wouldn't be shocking at all to see that game in the 50s just like Ohio is in this week. Because I don't think Ohio is going to find a way to consistently stop Kent State at any point in the game. And Rourke is coming off of a week where he broke the school record for passing yards in the game. So I know he did it against Fordham, but he was like 41 of 50 for like 537 yards. And Ohio doesn't even really have like an amazing group of receivers this year. It's a little bit better than last year, I think, but – I think Ohio Kent State has potential to be the most exciting game, and then Miami Buffalo has the most intrigue, and then Central Michigan Toledo has the most chance to shape where the conference is going this year. So that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. I wish Eastern and Western canceled their. I know that they played in two weeks, but I wish they just canceled these last non-conference games and just played each other. Yeah, like let's just get that shit over yeah, with. Seriously, because like yeah, absolutely, I would love that. Eastern's not going to lose this week, but like. It New Hampshire's a like kind of a middle of the road FCS team. They're three and one. They're good enough that like I'm worried about that game, man, <laughs> for Western. Because <laughs> like they need a get right game, and I just kind of like Ohio this week. I don't think they're gonna get it. Because I don't think there's anybody that they can move the ball on through the air. Because what I'm interested in, and there's more interesting games on the schedule, but from the Western side, like if Salopec, he shouldn't play. If you think he's the guy you need to win MAC games, he should not see the field. Um, but they got to like start getting comfortable throwing the ball with a backup. And like I could see that going really poorly if WMU has to come out because they can, they might be able to push New Hampshire around and run the ball and then get done what they need to get done. But, like, that's not going to help them. You know what I mean? It's not going to help them long-term because everybody already knows what Western wants to do on the ground. Everybody already knows they can run it. Western knows they can run it at least better than better than they can throw it, which people can do about anything better than Western can throw it. Um, I just... I just wish the game wasn't happening. I just rather them get to Mac play and just figure out what they're going to be. Uh, and that's the same way I feel about Eastern. Like, let's just keep, keep that rolling. Central Toledo is usually a pretty good one though. I'm kind of looking forward to that. And like, maybe you, you talk about players who need a get right game. You know who needs a get right game? Lou Nichols. Not because like it'll ruin like his draft stock or like it'll help his draft stock or anything. Cause I think like, his skills are his skills and like the the problems that I pointed out before over the summer and no one wanted to listen to me, which is that the two main head honchos that were blocking for him in front of him are in the NFL, not just graduated. They're in the NFL. They're doing well for themselves. 
And so, yeah, I'm not surprised to see that Lou Nichols, you know, rushing has kind of taken a hit. Yes, in non-conference play, and I expect he'll heat up once he sees some MAC defenses. I get that. But still, his rushing has gone from a 5.4 average to a 3.9. And you just don't like to see that for our boy. So, Toledo, you know, I don't know what the fuck you can really expect out of Toledo. But you can't expect Lou Nichols to be into it. And if this game turns into a a mid-sized shootout, I expect Central to uh, do that by getting Lou Nichols involved. And by doing so, that'll also get their one receiver, who I have been falling in love with lately, Carlos Carrier. That guy is ridiculous. Like, I, I love the way that guy plays. He is one of my most interesting receivers to watch uh, in the MAC so far this season. Have you guys, like, caught on to what he's been doing lately? Tell me, tell me more. 20 catches, 255 yards, uh, only one score so far. Uh, he's he's a big guy, man. Six foot five, two hundred three pounds, Georgia guy. Um, he is definitely going to be a difference maker in the MAC. And like, I, I look at like some of the pieces, like okay, Daniel Richardson's not throwing if, as efficiently. Okay, Lou Nichols, he's kind of having a down year so far. But like, Carlos Carrier, man, when when Central and Eastern play up against one another, that is. Like second to the running back, of course. Carlos is like the number one player that Eastern's going to have to watch out for. Um, and because I'm saying that about my team, you should be saying that uh, saying that about yours. Uh, so if Toledo can't slow down Carlos Carrier, or if Toledo can't, you know, can't stop Lou Nichols when he comes punching through, because you know he's going to run hungry. That's it's going to be exciting because Central needs to get right. Toledo has a lot that has has to play for for sure, but Central. You know that they're going to become steaming. You know they're going to come steaming when when they have to face Toledo this weekend. Yeah, both teams really need that need that game. That's a really big tone setter. Um, it generally for is. a conference yeah, like, play. And that's what I can like really appreciate about this series is that they usually need that game, and it usually ends up being really good. Yeah. You know who I trust more to play big in an important game. Central. Central. Yeah. I agree. Um, and like we there know, is... there's there's two seasons, right? There's the non-conference, right. and then there's the MAC. And like, there really is a difference. Yep. Uh, we have a trophy game this weekend. Technically. Yeah. I mean, not technically. They have a, it, it, it exists. It's it the exists. bronze stock. It's a real it trophy. Um. You know, even though one team basically holds it in perpetuity, ah, Ball State can win this game, man. Yeah, they absolutely can. They and can I, that's absolutely actually, win that game. I do when, when I brought up the games, I was like, I said what I said about the three games I was kind of most focused on, but Ball State and Northern could also be a shootout as well. For sure. Because here's the thing about Ball State: they took that loss to Western, but one of those two teams has been getting better, and it ain't Western. Like, there's, I think Toledo Central and NIU are better than Ball State, but I think Ball State's right behind. I mean, we'll see how the Toledo and CMU game plays out, Mm -hmm. but I think Ball State's right there in that 
like high second tier. Yeah, I really do. Like right now, they weren't a couple weeks ago, um, but they are now. Like I think they have something getting figured out with John Paddock. Um, they're really Carson Steele is a, just a, a monster. Hello, like they have something there, man. Like they're gonna win a few games, and I think that loss to Western is gonna cost them. Um, like when they look back on it, they're gonna really kick themselves because they could cost themselves. Uh, yeah, I don't think it, they've had a tough non-conference, so maybe it costs them a bowl game, right? But at this point in the season, if Ball State is a five-win team, they're four and four in the MAC, and I think with all the turnover they have, they might live with that. Uh, but they're, I think they're gonna be in this game with NIU. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very uh, pointsy. Yeah, and I know, like as if- one says, but. Yeah, and if, like, if anybody's wary about Ball State because of like the way it like the way it last week finished against Georgia Southern, you got to know Georgia Southern's quarterback is Kyle Vantries. and yeah, who I did Kyle Vantries lose to in the twenty twenty MAC championship game? That boy was looking for blood. I wanted to talk about that. Um, I, I saw nine and a half, and I'm like, that's the easiest bet in the world to make. But um, the uh, I to Justin's point about Ball State getting better. Uh, the points might not show it, but Ball State was just under 500 yards with a balanced offense. We had questions about whether Paddock was just a guy who was like a placeholder or could he excel, and he did move the ball against uh, Southern. And part of that is definitely, yeah, sure, like he's got very good receivers. He's got Jayshon Jackson. He's got Johannes Tyler, but that's not an indictment on him for being able to throw the ball for 338 yards on the road and a very good group of five team. So Paddock has not thrown for fewer you know, they lost, they got their asses handed to them against Tennessee, and Paddock is slinging the ball around trying to get them some points, and they lost to Western, but he hasn't thrown for fewer than 227 yards in the game, so he is not only a game manager at this point, he's playing well. And I didn't think, I didn't know, I, I thought maybe it was a possibility, but I thought Ball State might be the best if he was a game manager and, and Carson Steele's the guy that's doing it all. Carson Steele, Carson Steele is moving the ball very well, obviously. Ball State line is just fine. And now Paddock is kind of finding his way, even in the loss. So this could be the week where Ball State's like announces itself to the Mac. Don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all. I don't think so either. Like they got a shot. They got that attitude too. And I think like the Georgia Southern game, like the one knock on them is that while Mike New's been there a while, um, and this team isn't necessarily like young, uh, but I think in terms of who's contributing, particularly at quarterback and all that. Um, they kind of got to relearn how to win. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, when you are like, yeah. Yeah. I know that's like a shitty like radio <laughs> bit to be like, this team doesn't know how to win, but I think there is something to it. Cause like, you know, those kids a, haven't won together yet. It was a four point game. I mean, the, like, listen, it was third and eight at, around midfield for Georgia Southern. They were only up four. And they get Ball State gives up a 47-yard touchdown pass, right? I mean, if they get off the field there, they got a chance to drive and win, you know? Mm-hmm. So score a little bit. The score's a little bit, you know, not indicative of what happened in that game. But, like, Georgia Southern is a, you know, they, they made plays and Ball State didn't. And, like, I think Ball State's going to figure it out because they're a couple plays away, in my opinion, from being 3-1. and one. And I'm sure in that locker room, they feel like they should be. Because I think if they don't fumble on their opening possession against Western, they probably win. Mm-hmm. And it's just like those little mistakes. 
Um, yeah, I just uh, like I still feel good if I'm an NIU fan about winning this game and just the, the conference in general. Because uh, I think even with Rocky Lombardi out, that team's playing really, really well on offense. But like defensively, they're just not good enough to stop anybody. I, I think Ball State can move the ball and will. Guys, not ready to call the upset though. I'm not there yet. I just I, I think it's I think NIU is the team that you are more trusting to move the ball, but I don't feel that NIU is necessarily in a significantly better position to win the game. And I say that after NIU took a very good Kentucky team down to the wire, relatively speaking. Like you you thought Kentucky was gonna win the whole game, but you know, NIU Never was only outscored in the third quarter. It was a tie first quarter, tied second quarter. Uh, UK had the uh, advantage in the third. Uh, NIU had the advantage in the fourth. Um, pound for pound, mano y mano, blah, 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 blah. NIU did just fine against Kentucky. No issues there that you need to be upset about, especially with your backup quarterback. Um, even all that acknowledged, I think Ball State's in a very decent position to try and beat NIU this week. Um, and NIU. The defense still, you're like, are you actually going to stop anybody when it matters? Like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's coming, it'll come down to the wire and you'll make a play. And you're still, but I still wouldn't expect Ball State to like run for 175 yards and throw for like 300. Because that's what I think anytime a decent team plays in IU, I expect teams to move the ball against NIU. Guys, let's wrap things up. Uh, top three, bottom three, whatever you guys feel like doing. Uh, we're going to go around the horn. Uh, Justin, you first, then me, then Caleb. Oh, my top, my top bottom, my, t- my top ranking bottom thing is uh, just WMU's passing offense and just like quarterback room in general. I know it's pretty like broad. We already kind of talked about it, but. You know, we've mentioned a lot of quarterback names today. Um, and, you know, one one of my biggest critiques of, like, WMU as a pro – well, I have a lot of them. But from the quarterback perspective, particularly since WMU has a, you know, quarterback-friendly coach, right, is it's, it's fucking bad when your whole offensive program comes to a halt the second the guy – the top quarterback gets hurt. Like, you expect every offense to fall off when your quarterback gets hurt. To go from a – an offense that can score 37 points against ball state to an offense that I don't think honest to God will score another offensive touchdown without a turnover attached to it. <laughs> like in a short field, like that's how bad they looked on Saturday all because your quarterback got hurt. That says something to me about, yeah, I don't know if it's a recruiting thing. I don't know if it's just the way the, the offense is designed. I don't know, but it can't happen because, you know, Northern Illinois went toe to toe with Kentucky with a backup quarterback. Right. And, you know, but Western Michigan fans have to hear a lecture about, you know, like young kids and growing pains and all that. Buffalo's got starting Cole Snyder. He played well enough, played really well on Saturday. <laughs> right. He did. Um, Ball State has a, a, a young, new and improving quarterback. Right. I know that Western Michigan beat them, but like, I don't think Ball State has any. I'm sure they wish there were throws they'd have back and that he could play a little bit better. But I don't think that they're too too upset about that. 
um, Eastern Michigan's playing with a backup quarterback and while probably not happy with it, right? <laughs> as we talked about earlier, like it's not as bad as what's happening in Kalamazoo. So all these other teams seem to have it figured out. Uh, but for some reason, Western Michigan, whenever it goes back down to a backup, with the exception of uh, when Caleb Ellaby came in for John Wassing, um, that the drop-off is just so massive. Uh, it's pretty massive in Miami, too, uh, as well. But, you know, the only time since Lester's been in Kalamazoo that the, the quarterback injury hasn't spelled complete disaster was when the backup was the highest rated quarterback recruit in Western Michigan history, <laughs> right? That is not sustainable. And I don't understand why, um, you know, this isn't seen as like a bigger problem long-term. Was that all three? Dude, it might as well be, I don't know. Everything. All my bottom threes are Western Michigan rated. Cause I think <laughs> Western Michigan is just terrible. That's fair. All of the time. Um, I just went with uh, my top three teams in the East right now, because Jesus Christ, that is a that's a that's a tough conference or a tough division to figure out. Like, forget like top three in the MAC. Who are the top three in the MAC East? Gotta love it to have this list. Uh, I guess Miami's number one. You got got to respect them. Do you guys know the last time Miami beat a P five opponent? I'm going to go with 19. I know the answer. 1984 Northwestern. No, Justin, tell him. Caleb has the team right, and I think it was 2003. <laughs> they beat Northwestern uh, pretty badly, actually. Nope. Was it Northwestern? Wait, it was Northwestern. Syracuse, 2007. No, they beat No. They beat Northwestern in like 2000 and... Maybe it was later than 2007. I'm, I'm completely contradicting my guess because I'm not thinking straight, but they did beat Northwestern within the last like... Yeah, I thought that was the stat that was thrown out, that like their last P5 win was yeah, in the same place. Was Northwestern. I'm, I'm Maybe it was last right Big now. 10 win? 2010, oh, no, they didn't play Northwestern then. 2011, oh. didn't play Northwestern. 2003, they did. They beat Northwestern 44 to 14. And I'm looking at 2007. They beat Syracuse 17 to 14. Huh. Maybe maybe the stat was Big Ten then. Well, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't know the, the damn answer. And that that might have been it. Like that I that think, that would make I sense. I think they beat. It, there was a stat that was Miami's last several uh, Big Ten victories against Big Ten teams were all against Northwestern. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. It was like their last like four or five victories against Big Ten teams were all against Northwestern or something like that. Um, is there some weird accounting? When did Syracuse join the ACC? God, they were in the Big East until like 2011 or so, I want to say. Might be off on that one. Huh. Yeah, their last Big Ten win was Northwestern for sure. Mm-hmm. That's got to be what the stat was. This is why we need the uh, we need the the game notes. You're welcome. Well, I check I checked the game notes first, and Miami is so Miami that they didn't even really like say that. All they said was, uh, "We beat Northwestern. You know, somebody had a 36 yard field goal to to win the game. We're two and two. How <laughs> Miami? It was the least exciting game notes I've ever seen. Like for a Mac over a Big Ten upset. Well, that game was terrible. 
I don't Seriously, care. fucking... I don't care. Want, a Mac team, be, your Mac team, the one that I'm responsible for if I'm putting out these press releases, we just beat Northwestern. We just beat a, a Big Ten team. Yeah, I mean, they should definitely lot. celebrate it. But they that should, game exactly, was, exactly. But they should celebrate it, but also, like, maybe not call attention to any details of that game because there's not really... Like, Miami's synopsis... No, but you, notes, you say, like... You, you might think not. they're just being like that was probably an accurate accounting of the game. Could not agree more. Like Could that is that's all that agree. happened. No, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to learn more about the game. I just want to like celebrate the moment more. I want to know. Oh my God, this is the first time that you know we beat a Big Ten team since two thousand three. Oh my God, it's the first time since 07 since we beat a Power Five. You know, count those up. Throw those Alex, in recruits' face. Alex, do you know who the leading receiver was in in that game? Oh no, Miami and Northwestern. Oh no. Was it the referee? <laughs> well, he plays for Miami. Was it hip and hammer for like thirty-eight yards? Well, that's Alex. How many yards? How many? Now remember, this isn't the high receiver for Miami. This is the high receiver for the entire game. So how many? How many yards did Mac Hip and Hammer have uh, last night? Well, I know. So when I did see the box, I don't remember the receiving part. I know that Avion Smith had like. 60 yards or something like that. Uh, so half of that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say for the whole game. I do mean for Miami. Correct. Thanks for, I think you guys were leaning to correcting me there. Cause obviously Northwestern had a lot of passing yards. Um, it was Matt Kippenhammer and he only had a 20 yards receiving. And that was the leading <laughs> receiver for Miami. Good Lord. I just noticed a, a old, old pal, Steve Helwick tweeted, um, it was the first Big Ten win since 2003 uh, for Miami. And a MAC team has defeated a Big Ten team every year except for 2020, dating back 16 years. Yeah. Yep. This was the game that it was going to be, too. Like, if you looked, like, when the schedules came out and all that, this was the one. And they did it. Miami pulled their weight with only 62 passing yards. I do love that. I sent a message to my other buddies about this game, and the first reaction I got from them was, fuck Northwestern and stupid-ass stadium and stupid-ass alcohol policy. (laughs) That was the first thing that came to mind, not fuck Miami for beating Northwestern because we're all Ohio University grads. It was fuck Northwestern for stupid alcohol policy. (laughs) My number one East team is Miami. Number two is Buffalo. How could it not be? It should be number one, but you know what? You only won one game, all they right? You only beat Eastern. Let's see you do it again. They should not. And number three is Kent. I, I don't – I just – no. like, I don't like anybody at that three spot either. Like, I wanted to put Ohio, and then I remembered it doesn't have a running back. Like – McCormick's actually been okay. He's like their fifth string running back. But that's exactly what happened to AJ Ouellette before he became one of the stars of the Mac. Sure, but like I mean, I'll wait and see. I'm not gonna freaking heat praise on Rourke too much, but should I get? Are you still on your three? Because I am about to get. No, no, no. Go for it. Yeah, I'm. I I said my three. Okay, so without heaping too much praise, I will give Rourke credit. He did break a school record for passing yards, so it's like that feels good in a sense because. Ohio doesn't have I, – I, I don't think Ohio has better receivers than they've had in the past, and Fordham's an FCS team and whatever. 
Uh, one of the guys I coach with is a Fordham grad who played football there, and so that'll be an interesting conversation. Did, didn't uh, Fotis Cocosiolis, didn't he get played. his career started at NIU? Yes, he did, and he had like 300-plus receiving yards against Ohio. Um, very good receiver. He played at Maine South in the suburbs. I currently do a newsletter on the conference where Fotis Cocosiolis uh, plays football, or where he played football in high school. Um, it's called the Central Suburban League, and I do a, a, pod, or a uh, newsletter about that called the Central Suburban League Varsity Newsletter. Um, so there's your tie-in to Illinois high school sports. Um, the other two things, uh, work for breaking the school passing record, Cole Snyder for showing that Buffalo has his quarterback shit figured out and they can put up points, move the ball. And then Paddock at Ball State. I just wanted to be specific to the quarterbacks this week. It very easily could have chosen a negative three things, but I'm just going to choose to say that Ball State, Ohio, Buffalo, better quarterback. Uh, they're in a better position with their quarterbacks than I would have expected like three weeks ago. So good for them there. It makes things a little bit more exciting. And boom goes the dynamite. Oh, wait. I was going to say, did you guys see the butt punt today? Oh, dude, yes. Butt punt! What do you think? Okay, if you got your ass kicked like that, right? Like, you're that guy. You had that ball just, like, punted right in your fucking arse. What does that punter owe you? Oh, my God. Anal beads. What? That's, oh, that's Jesus. What? God, like I was saying like a steak dinner, but, you know. <laughs> Christmas is for well, Christmas. He could, he could have said, treat, treat me to a, I like to be wined and dined before I get fucked with a football. That's what I'm saying. Did you see the photo of like the, the like the perfect, like the ball make, making contact with his ass? Yes. Photographers are doing the Lord's work. I, I do love it when, like, I try to end this show and you're like, wait, I have more Maxion to talk about. Did you guys see what happened in the Dolphins-Jets game? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, this is Maxion. Um, Corey, Corey Davis. Cut yeah, UCF was in the Mac once. Yeah. Scott Frost um, is coming back to the Mac. I'm telling you, Scott Frost is going to the Mac when Toledo opens up. Jesus. Oh, my God. Hey, you, you didn't want me to end record, so I'm saying No, that's it. true. I mean, listen, he, I mean, he's, it's kind of a McElwain situation, right? Because, like, he's basically paid for it. So, why and, not? Yeah, and, like, if you're Toledo, you can, like, hire Frost and, like, say, like, okay, yes, he's the Nebraska guy. But we're hiring the UCF guy. <laughs> this guy. Which this should guy be the selling point of him, like, moving forward. How much did Frost make at UCF? Because big ass university with a big ass operating budget, like two million dollars or something, right? See, that's what a I'm year. wondering. I felt like he made a lot of money at or maybe more because I don't know. Like on the high end of max salaries, like the three, two or three highest paid coaches in the MAC make a million dollars, right? Or like eight hundred thousand or something like that. Um, and it's like much higher everywhere else, right? Um. I hope the toilet sound stays on the podcast. Of course. <laughs> I, hope it stay, I hope it stays. Um, on the Scott Frost front, I agree with you, Alex, that he's going to the Mac. But I think the funniest result is that Toledo fires Jason Candle in pursuit of Scott Frost, and then he gets hired by Bowling Green. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful.
just a whole podcast on who what would be the best fit for Scott Frost in the Mac. <laughs> Ohio hires Scott Frost because of Nebraska connections and nothing else. Scott Frost it, leads him to the Scott Frost leads him to the MAC championship game in two years. They lose again, and then somebody else hires Scott Frost. I mean, it is it's it is all jokes until like Justin, like what you just said. <laughs> Jim McElwain's here, so yeah, there's nothing to joke about. Joe Moorhead's here. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least Joe Moorhead had a connection. Sure, yeah, like he's been there before. Oh, Scott Frost hasn't been to the Big Ten before. No, we're talking about the fucking Mac. Oh. Where's that? It's the school. It's not the fucking conference. It's not the fucking level of football. Scott Frost was a linebacker's coach at Northern Iowa. I mean, that's he can fit in in the Mac. No, no coach has ever lost as many fucking close games as Scott Frost did. How the fuck could he have any success at Toledo? Uh, I don't know. Chuck Martin still loses close games, and he has a MAC title and probably will coach at Miami for as long as he wants to. Yeah, that ruined Scott Frost's career, but like that gave Chris Creighton like a job for life. It is so fucking funny to think that like Chuck Martin was like four and twenty six at Miami at one point. Oh my god. And turn it around. He's something like twelve and thirty in close games or something like that. And like they, dude, he was hanging on by a thread. I think, like I think Miami fans wanted him gone, especially after they blew that Cincinnati game. You know the one. Yeah, but they were so fucking bad. They were terrible, and they just kept losing close games. And then they rattled off the six-game win streak at the end of that right. one year. And like and they just kept rolling. And they, I mean, sort of. I mean, they're like. I don't know. I imagine like Miami's success is what would happen if like like if you swapped Miami and Eastern Michigan division wise, I think you would like they would just become each other. Oh, you could do that with Kent though, honestly. Like Eastern and Kent's a good swap. Yeah. Like they're like always at each other's level, which I really hate. <laughs> That's what the Mac should do, is like every year there's a trial balloon, like, all right, you get to play in the Mac East this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I, I am ending this podcast. I, somebody has to edit this damn thing. You guys won't let me. And boom goes the dynamite.